In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, you are not imagining things. It is cold in here. Um, our thermostat is not working, so we're not able to um, turn the heat up. So I've left with another choice to preach hellfire and brimstone. And <clears throat> hopefully that'll get us all to the place we need to be. I wonder, um, I wonder what was the first thing to draw you to Christ. I wonder if we had enough time this morning to really go around the room and each person had an opportunity to answer. And don't worry, I won't put you on the spot and do this. But I wonder what it would be like to hear the stories of whatever it was that first drew you to a place where you wanted to be in relationship with Jesus. Some of us would have stories about uh, faith that was passed down to us uh, by a father or mother or grandparent or someone else in our life that we love and respect. Others of us came to faith uh, as adults, and uh, perhaps there was something that was going on in our life. We faced a serious illness or trauma or something else was going on in our life, and we were looking for answers. Others of us might have heard about Jesus through popular culture, and maybe we heard the parable stories uh, or the teachings of Jesus, and we found them compelling. There, there are lots of reasons that bring us to faith. But it would be interesting, I think, this morning to hear your story and what brought you to this place. And I know for me, I grew up in the church, and so I was one of those people who really inherited my faith from my parents and my grandparents. I, uh, as a child, I felt like I was at church oftentimes more than I was at home. And uh, it felt to some extent like I didn't really have a choice in it, but there was certainly a point in my life where I came to a place uh, not yet quite an adult, but uh, as a teenager, where I began to go, is this story really for me? Are these things really that compelling? Is this just something that my parents do, or is this something that I will do and believe and follow as well? And I watched as many of my friends made those choices, and some people stayed, and other people decided to walk away from the faith, and others still walked away, but came back later in life looking for an answer that they had left behind. I know for me, the thing that first compelled me to really believe and to follow Jesus were the miracle stories. I would read these stories about Jesus, who just seemed like in every situation he had the answer. And for me, I would think about the things that I was going through and experienced in my own life, and I wished that I had the power to change whatever it was, to snap my fingers, right, to say a prayer, whatever it might look like, and for suddenly, you know, a miracle to happen. And so for Jesus, it seemed so easy, and I would read these stories. Jesus had the power over not just illness, but death. And he would come into these situations, and he would just solve them. And for me, this was compelling because Jesus seemed like an individual with great power. And for me, that meant, well, maybe he could save me too. Maybe he could intervene in my life. Maybe this power is also what I need. And so I think our initial reading of the miracle stories might lead us to believe that the reason that the miracles are in the Bible is because they are supposed to be displays of power. They're supposed to be signs, wonders that lead us to belief. And if you look at the passage that we've read this morning, this is the logical conclusion of this story. Jesus does something that is unexpected. 
He does something that no one else in the room can do. And at the end, it says that his glory was on display and the disciples believed in him. And that's great. (laughs) It's great for the disciples. It's great for those who are there. They see this act of power and it leads them to belief. But many people over, over time saw Jesus do miraculous things and all of those people weren't led to belief. And likewise, today... This might not be the most compelling part of the story to you. And literally everyone in the world, right, seems to know that Jesus in these stories performs these miracles, but it doesn't necessarily lead everyone to faith. It's not that compelling. They've heard these stories before. And I was blown away, I was blown away in my first or second semester of seminary to find out that in the historical record, there are other people at this time, going around and doing similar tricks and miracles. Uh, One that you can look up as Honey the Circle Drawer. You can Google that when you get home today. Or you got a computer in your pocket, you can Google it right now. But there are people within the historical record who are also going and doing these kind of acts, these miraculous things that would cause people to want to follow them and to believe the message that they were having, that they were presenting to the people. And so as I've gotten older, my question is, are displays of power enough? Is power what makes Jesus worthy of being followed? I look at these passages, these 37 recorded miracles in the Gospels, and I wonder if their only purpose is to lead me to belief, to just say, Jesus is powerful, there are problems in the world, Jesus is able to intervene, So, yes, of course, I should follow him. But as I've gotten older, it's led me to more and more questions. Why these 37 encounters? Why these 37 individuals or individual groups of people? Why did Jesus choose to come into these lives and to improve them and not everyone else's? The Gospel of John ends by saying that Jesus did so many great works that not all of them could be recorded, even if all of the books in the world tried to record them. But still, there must have been people that Jesus passed by who had pain and illness and problems that he did not solve in that moment. And maybe today, whatever you are going through in your life, you read this story and you go, if Jesus has the power to change water and the wine, Why in the world is he not intervening in my own life? And so I think think that the miracle stories are more than just stories about power. They're more than just revealing to us that Jesus has this capability to change certain things in our life. And a deeper reading of these passages help us to see who Jesus is. And when we begin to see who Jesus is, we begin to see who God is and who God is calling us to be. When we really look at the story that we've read this morning, the wedding at Cana, it is a silly story. Jesus is at a wedding. He is there with his mother and his disciples. It is day three of the celebration. Likely, everyone at this point is feeling really, really good. And we know that because they are completely out of wine. But the party is not over, and people might be embarrassed if they run out. 
And so there is this system of anxiety in this story. And I, I was thinking about uh, when Laura and I were planning our, our own wedding. I was living in South Carolina, and she was living in Florida, and I got to, to skip out on most of the anxiety because most of my decision-making was getting a phone call from Laura going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? They're out of this. We can't get this. What about this venue? What about this church? Blah, blah, blah. And I would just get to go, honey, it's all going to be okay. <laughs> no matter what happens, we're still going to be married. It's all going to work out. And meanwhile, her and her mother were carrying that emotional burden. And so I, I've read some of that into the story this morning, that for these people, this was a big moment. The party was not over, and they did not have enough to provide. And so Mary, this is Jesus' first public miracle, but it makes me wonder what he had done around the house to give her suspicion, right? Like, oh, Jesus, I... We don't have enough butter to make this meal. I'm going to have to run to the store. No, no, mom, I've got this. <laughs> so it makes me wonder what Jesus had done around the house to make her aware that he had this kind of power. And so Jesus comes, or Mary comes to Jesus, and she asks him to do something. And Jesus says, you know, this really isn't my concern. But he obeys his mother. And she tells the servants to do whatever he asks. And this is where the story gets silly. There are six large stone uh, pitchers that are not used for drinking. This, these are for the rite of purification. Each of these hold 20 to 30 gallons. <clears throat> I read an account this week that said that this would be the equivalent of 605 modern bottles of wine. This is the third day of the party. Everybody is about to go home. And Jesus doesn't just intervene in this situation with a little bit, but Jesus enters into it by providing abundance. This story, I don't think, is about power or about parlor tricks, but this is about what Jesus, what God desires for the world. The miracle stories give us lenses through which we can look because the truth is, we will all encounter things in which a miracle would change our lives, and we will have to endure it. And yet, the miracle stories give us lenses to look at the things that are happening in our world, and to maybe know how to act and to respond. Jesus overturns the status quo in this story, because the expectation is that even if the wine is about to run out, we'll just give people the bad stuff because at this point, they won't notice. But that's not the way that Jesus operates. Instead, Jesus operates out of abundance. He meets the need, and then he goes over and beyond. And it calls us to wonder, what in our life, what tables need to be overturned? What status quo needs to be challenged? What upheaval in our society do we need to participate in? And there are a lot of preachers that want to tell you that the gospel stories like these are about prosperity. But the truth is, is that all of us will not have always a full bank account. Some of us will live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe even the majority of us will live paycheck to paycheck. We won't have a garage full of sports cars or luxury SUVs. This is not the plan of God 
for each of us. But in this created order, there is enough for everyone. And there's enough for everyone to have and not, and not the bad stuff, not the leftover. Oh, don't worry, they won't notice. Because God operates out of abundance. And God created this world with enough for everyone. And so you and I, in reading this story, it should lead us to the question, not of whether God or Jesus is powerful or not, because plenty of people are powerful. We see powerful people all of the time. But the question is whether Jesus is worthy of being followed or not. And I believe that he is. Over and over again, I believe that Jesus is worthy of being followed. And the question for us in this story, if we are going to follow Jesus, is how will we operate out of our own abundance? The truth is, if you have a bank account, you are richer than 90% of the world. So what will you do with that abundance? Will you hoard it to yourself? Will you believe in a system of scarcity that God will not provide enough for tomorrow so you can't give to someone else today? Or will you see that you already have enough for today and that when your neighbor is in need, you have enough to give them? Jesus is powerful, but that is not enough. He is also worthy of being followed. And if we followed him, our world, and our society would change. I pray that we will be brave enough to do so. Amen.